is Dabo Ami, and welcome to another episode of the Venture Podcast. And during this episode, we have Eden Lewis on, who is an art director at Edelman in New York, and we'll hear more about that. But in this episode, we get into things like odd jobs that she's had in the past and how that ties into the career that she has right now. Um, I worked as like basically a telemarketer for a while. I worked at a phone bank, um, which was really bizarre, but gave me enormous people skills, like getting hung up on by, you know, the majority of the people you talk to all day gives you like enormous resilience. Um, And I think, you know, I can like, I can see the ways that that really has informed my presentation skills. The whole salary negotiation and job search process. You should just go for whatever you think you can get. And you should think about what you can get in terms of what you think they're going to say no to, not what you think they're going to say yes to. Kind of mapping out your values and the values of the companies that you're applying to. Really, now you can get into the social accounts of the people that you're going to work with and you can find out like pretty quickly what they are or aren't aligned with. Um, and you can ask those questions in your interview. Um, I mean, I think it's super important to open those conversations up before you get to a workplace. Justin being stalked by a mountain lion and much, much more. And just a reminder for our Apple Podcast users, we'd love if you could leave us a review in the Apple Podcast app or in iTunes. Um, Let us know what you think. Feel free to DM us or email us. Um, This goes for everybody. Um, Just tell us what you think, how we could do better. And with that, we'll get into it. Episode three. Hope you enjoy. So, hey everybody, um, welcome to another episode of the Venture Podcast. Um, I'm here today with Eden Lewis. We're both here in, in lovely Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York. Um, and Eden? Yes. Hey, I'm Eden. Um, I am Senior Art Director at Edelman right now, and... As Dapo said, we're in my my plant-filled apartment in Bushwick, and I've got, like, a bunch of humidifiers feeding all of my plants, so it's a very chill vibe over here. The air is nice. Um, yeah, we're, we're, like, getting all of the oxygen we need today <laughs> in this plant environment. Um, I'm originally from Atlanta, so, you know, the south-north change. I got the brutal winter impact when I first moved here, but I've been in New York for a couple years, so... Starting to feel like home, I guess. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. This is yes. This is a a feeling I have never had with New York, unfortunately. Like until I came abroad. Like, uh, mm. oh, my name's Justin. I'm in Budapest right now. But like the feeling of New York being like homey is something I never yeah. like really had. I mean, being from North Jersey, but going abroad and hearing everyone being like. Oh, like you're from like around New York area makes me realize like how special, definitely how special of a place it is. And like the global recognition is pretty wild. Very cool to be able to say you lived there at some point in time. So cheers to you and Bushwick. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to Bushwick with the L train down. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Very cool. So... Um, where should we start, Dapo? We had a couple questions that we were thinking were a good opener. Um, yeah, a couple of questions from 
listeners, a couple questions from our, like ourselves, but mainly just talking about like how you got your start mm-hmm. in yeah. and like because we were just talking about like how mm-hmm. that the story that you tell about like your design career is like it's really important whether you're in an interview or you're just like you're meeting new people that story is like it's it's just it's good to like stay in touch with like why you started mm-hmm. um where you came from yeah so, yeah let's let's hear it yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's funny because I think that that sort of narrative that you put around your career um, can be one of the most important and I think one of the most uh, disregarded pieces of marketing yourself. I don't think people like really think about that as a, as a narrative that you need to construct and, and really think about. Um, I've had a very, very strange career path that's sort of ping-ponged all over the place between a a bunch of different fields, I guess, that all felt, um, I don't know, adjacent to, I guess, the, like, kind of creative, the creative field I ended up in, but... I went to school for um, communication design, which is kind of an interesting program that blended illustration and graphic design. And then I got a second degree in film analysis. And so for a while, I thought I was going to be a film professor and like do the academia thing. Um, and I spent a summer teaching some some classes at Duke, and I really loved teaching film, and I loved thinking about film and watching film. Um, but I missed the the kind of more collaborative nature of the design and, and um, advertising industry. Yeah. That's something that's so absent from academia, which feels, I think, like very much more a singular pursuit. Um, and so right after school, I moved back to Atlanta. I went to school in St. Louis um, and I started working at a PR firm that was just starting to kind of build out a creative team and, and take on some more um, work that you might put under like the advertising umbrella. And that was a, a very interesting um, first job because it wasn't like a traditional ad agency. Um, it was, you know, very much an agency in flux and it was interesting to be a part of that kind of growth and see what it was like to kind of define a a creative team and think about a creative team outside of an ad agency and what all of that looks like. Um, so that I think was a really formative and odd experience for me. Um, and then when I moved to New York, I moved here without a job and without really any plan. And I freelanced for several months, just taking on like whatever. I mean, like I did everything from, (laughs) I literally had a gig, a freelance gig where I made all of the decks, like internal decks for the show, ancient aliens. Um, and basically like every deck's brief was the same. They're like, any image that seems extraterrestrial at about like a 50% multiply of opacity over any image of an ancient artifact, like that's it. And I was like, really? That's it? Like it doesn't, they're like anything you find, it's totally fine. And so I would be Googling, you know, like <laughs> space conspiracy theories. And then I would have another tab open that was like ancient Viking artifacts. And I would be like, multiply it and we're good. And so like, I did a lot of really weird freelance jobs for a while. Um, and through the same recruiter who found me the ancient aliens gig, um, I got connected to sort of a startup nonprofit in the city that was doing some really interesting work around uh, organ donation. And I worked there for a while, um, just kind of trying to figure out how, how we could hack that 
organ donation system using social media. Um, another really bizarre job that I loved very much and learned an enormous amount from. And that's actually how I got connected to Edelman. My my now boss, Jesse Sukman at Edelman, was doing some sort of pro bono work for, for this nonprofit. And we got connected that way um, and just had really like a good vibe. And uh, he brought me on to Edelman several months later and that's where I've been. Nice. Wait, so let's let's backtrack a little bit. Yeah, I know. I was so like, you, so here's my whole life story. <laughs> no, that's fine. Like, I, I didn't know that you taught up Duke. So this was before you started working that you were teaching, and then you, yep. you wanted to, like, go into the, um, like, was it, like, more execution, like, actually, like, in the field design. So you went straight from being in school to, like, teaching. While I was still in school, actually, between oh, okay, my nice. junior and senior year, um, was when I was teaching at Duke. Uh, they run like sort of a pre-college program in the summer for like students who are incoming. Yeah. Um, and they match basically college students who are about to start pursuing an advanced degree. So uh, understanding that I would have been going on to get like a PhD in film with existing PhDs in that field as, as like teaching themes. And so a super awesome way to get teaching experience but also to kind of have this whole summer to pick the brain of someone who's just gotten their PhD and be like is this a thing that I want to like really commit to and like go in on um and yeah I mean I loved it I still have just a massive massive passion for film and I think actually that has informed a lot of the work that I do now um I art direct a lot of a lot of video so it's all swirling in the same cauldron. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you have a lot of good like film references too, which is like mm. it's pretty pretty helpful, especially like when you're just like with a lot of things. Like, yeah, that's shared language. Anytime that you can kind of like share a visual reference system, I think the work you can make together can be so much stronger. And it's funny because you know I'm like I'm an art director and not a designer, and so it's incredibly important that I find ways to like connect with both designers but also photographers who who I'm collaborating with you know um, video teams who I'm collaborating with motion graphic artists you know you kind of need to amass this huge visual vocabulary so that you can share the vision with those teams and and feel like you're all talking about the same thing um so it, yeah, in a lot of ways, all of this film knowledge has been enormously helpful because you can get on the call with the DP for a spot. You're going to shoot and be like, okay, like, you know that look they have going in, like, Days of Heaven? Yeah, we're kind of going for, like, a lo-fi version of that. And he's like, yeah. got it. We're on the same page. We're moving. <laughs> Wait, for our listeners that don't know what DP means, director. Oh, yes, director of photography. Okay. Um, that's usually, like, the person who's running the camera on your shoot. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, there's, like, so much terminology that, like, go into the industry that, like, I didn't even know, like, <laughs> when sure. someone said deck for the first time, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, yeah. we're putting together a deck. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, like, a, a PDF. Is it, like, deck of cards? Like, Completely. That or swipe. Like, yeah, oh, you yeah, know. Like, put together, yeah, like, just, a treatment. Just, just pull some swipe. And I was like, I literally don't know what that is. And then I think, you know, we really, we kill ourselves as a field because we create all this weird terminology. It's not something you can Google. And there's, like, no way you can figure this out. So you basically put all of your junior people in this horrible position of, like, how long before I feel like I can trust someone enough to ask them about what clearly is a thing everyone else already knows, you know? Yeah. Like, who am I going to ask what swipe is today? I remember Googling, like, what is deck? Yeah, like, completely, completely. <laughs> I had this experience this summer. I remember sitting 
at work, like at my internship, um, my boss was like the creative director was like, oh, like, yeah, can you just put your stuff into a deck? Like it was a few different like um, phases of a project. And he's like, yeah, just put it into one deck and send it over to me. And I was like, got it. And like, I was just like, <laughs> I, I was like, got it. And I went and I sat down. And I was like, I looked around. I was like, what exactly is a deck? Like, and I didn't want to ask because I was so confident when I was like, got it on it right now. So I like remember. Like he's like right next to me and I'm like, like kind of like hiding like what I'm doing on the laptop. And I'm like, what? Is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and absolutely. I was like, no, no answers whatsoever. So eventually I was just like, hi, me. I actually don't know what you want me to do whatsoever, but I'll do it. <laughs> not, I, I actually don't know what the deck is. Excited to find out. <laughs> <laughs> just really grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. And. Yeah, let's do it. That was pretty much the mentality. But, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, like, what what do you feel like you need to have before, like, starting a job, like, out of school? And yeah, yeah. Like it's, um, I might, might be just straight up answering the question myself. It's, like, a mind that's open enough to, like, want to learn mm. all of those, like, and like obscure things that you sure. might encounter, like um, like you just have to be curious enough to like know. Yeah. Like there's gonna be a lot of things that I'm not gonna know. I mean, I didn't know that when I first started. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that curiosity is is really important. Um, I actually feel like you come out of school with, I mean, an enormous amount of, of skills that you don't realize you have because they're kind yeah. of not existing inside this like terminology, right? It's like, you don't know what a deck is, but you know all the things you need to know to make a deck. Like, yeah. you know, coming out of school, it's interesting because your brain is actually like in this space that gives you kind of a superpower. You're, you've been in an intensive research phase. You've been iterating like endlessly on projects, right? You've had these really sort of open-ended things you've worked on that, that don't have money mapped against them, don't have the same constraints that you have once you get into the workplace. Yeah. And that kind of like mental openness and, and freedom is something that goes around, goes away really quickly once you start working. And so I actually think that like coming out of school, you have a little bit of this superpower and maybe that's why our industry is so youth obsessed, but I think it's, it's harder to retain the, the, the mentality you have in college than it is to acquire the like language and the random like obscure skills that <laughs> you need to seem like an old timer in the agency world. Yeah. 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 Sure. yeah. yeah I just <laughs> very much agree with all of that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I, I was wondering, I don't know, Justin, you want to chime in on this as far as like, getting that job like, after school and like what are those things that you, you feel like you need to have in mind mm -hmm. before you get that job like we, we talk yeah. a lot about like values yeah like, I know even even on social media like I see like it feels like what you do is like from time to time you and Jen yes um mm -hmm. Jen Winston 
um, for our for our listeners out there. She's a social media. What, what, what do we call her? <laughs> what do we call Jen Winston? We call Jen Winston like a Renaissance woman of inspiration. Really um, Jen Winston was my copywriting partner at Edelman, um, but she's a really brilliant social media strategist, and she also is an incredible activist. And she operates a, an Instagram account called Girl Power Supply that all of us should be following. She's doing really amazing work there. Um, but yes, were you gonna? What were you gonna? Yeah, we like can I, say so much about Jen. <laughs> no, I, I see a bit of that in your social media, and I feel like that, um, like what you care about is like it's definitely a huge part. Like, yeah. like it goes without saying, even like it's a huge part when you're looking for a job. Like when you're trying to decide, like in-house versus agency. Like, sure. How did you? How did you even like? Think about those things, like, what yeah, about, I care about. Yeah, like, about finding a job that I felt, like, mapped against my values. Right. That's sort of the question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, that's a great question. Um, if I could just throw in before you say that, since, like, definitely. we are, like, talking about, like, a younger audience and, like, how you get to that, like, after you graduate, but also if you could comment on like the decisions you made when you were in school, like what projects you tried to position yourself in or what, um, what internships you like wanted to do, not just cause they were opportunities, but because like you could kind of like start testing waters, steering your direction. Like, yeah. I think that's really interesting to hear like the whole timeline. Totally. Totally. So I'll start with that part of it actually. Um, I think that like my best advice that I could possibly give to anyone in school is to just like try to work while you're in school. Um, try to take like literally any job. Um, I don't think it has to be a job in your field. I don't think it has to be like a, a cool internship that like makes obvious sense with where you want to go. I think just being in the workplace and understanding the way that those systems operate is a really, really, really valuable tool um, coming out of school. So while I was in school, um, I did a lot of extremely weird jobs, much weirder than what I did after school. Um, I worked as like basically a telemarketer for a while. I worked at a phone bank, um, which was really bizarre, but gave me enormous people skills, like getting hung up on by, you know, the majority of the people you talk to all day gives you like enormous resilience. Um, and I think, you know, I can like, I can see the ways that that really has informed my presentation skills now to kind of like, you know, put a retroactive like 2020 vision on it. Um, I worked as a professor's research assistant, which like gave me an enormous appreciation for you know rigor and 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 process and then I worked um in residential life uh basically as like the super a bunch of seniors apartments <laughs> um and so I had all these like kind of odd jobs in school and none of them really mapped back obviously to my career and I remember having a lot of anxiety about that like I remember thinking like this is a waste of my time or I'm kind of spinning my wheels and like looking at um, other people who I was in school with who were taking like unpaid internships at an ad agency and they would come back after the summer with like this portfolio of work they had done and I would be like, oh, cool. I was like, you know, making sure these guys got their like sink fixed. So I guess I'll put that one on my LinkedIn. It's so easy <laughs> to fall into that too. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's huge pressure, right? That like every moment that you're in school and every moment before you apply for jobs, you need to be amassing all of this really specific um, experience. And I never had an internship that like made any sense or mapped back in any way to my job that I have now. Um, so... I know plenty of people who did. I know that those people who are interning at ad agencies are in amazing positions now. And that's, you know, just as valid a route as the more like random one I took. 
Um, but I, yeah, I would just say try to work any way you can and don't let this barrier of like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense for what I want to ultimately do stop you. Um, because I mean, the alternative, right, is like, you're not working and you're just still in school. And then you <laughs> both didn't get the like perfect internship you wanted and didn't get any other experience. And I think we're kind of in this like strange moment where um, creative industries are all collapsing into each other and culture is collapsing into creative industries and the lines between all of these things and what's relevant and what's not um, are getting I think really blurry and, and really yeah. porous. I think it's kind of cool because like it's it seems to be like pretty frowned upon I feel like this is like an influence from like other industries mm. where like you have to focus on one thing and that thing only and mm-hmm. you can't really explore and it's nice that like this field kind of lends itself to like you moving around yeah and at the end of the day i feel like once you take stock of like it's like all the different like things that you've been able to try you figure out what's for you you figure out what's not yeah and if anything it's like at least i can work better with an architect now oh absolutely yeah to like take a job that was like working with a bunch of these people mm-hmm. and like I don't know how to communicate like there's so many things that like especially since the job is like so much communication just yeah. like relating with a certain audience you need to be able to like have that um yeah and like, I think experience it is that communication with other creatives right it's it's being able to talk to photographers even though photography wasn't for you or architects even though you didn't end up in architecture but um, when you're in that industry space, it's also about talking to clients who have, you know, no, cre- they may have no creative experience, right? And um, like that weird summer job you had at like, you know, the like pizza place in your hometown might be like the spark that gives you a really good end to a client conversation that builds the account in ways that other people on that account can't. And so I think it's important to really like, um, expand our understanding of what relevant experience is. Yeah. Um, because I think it's a lot bigger than we know. And I think it's a way we limit ourselves unconsciously, especially coming out of school. There's like all this anxiety that you don't have the preparation you need. You don't have the experience you need. It's really intimidating to like look at entry level job applications that want three to five years of experience. And you're like, wait, what? So this is the bottom and they want three to five years. And where am I supposed to go? Like I just came out of school. Um, but to circle back to this question of how you find a place to work that aligns with your values, I think that that's, um, a question that's becoming more and more important and something that I think employers are thinking about more and more. Um, so you can always do the whole like audit of who their clients are and, it'll be very apparent to you if some hugely objectionable client works for them that like maybe that's not where you want to go. Sure. Um, <laughs> right. Those top clients. Right, right. Come hide our oil spills. Like maybe yeah. that's a red flag for you. Um, but I think that really now you can get into the social accounts of the people that you're going to work with and you can find out like pretty quickly what they are or aren't aligned with. Um, and you can ask those questions in your interview. Um, I mean, I think it's super important to open those conversations up before you get to a workplace, because once you're there, um, that culture is where you spend most of your time, like literally the majority of your time. Um, so it's important to find some place where you do feel aligned with the mission. Um, I, We'll also say that I think 
my experience has been being really loud about the the things that are important to me outside of work has really rewarded me. Um, and I think given me a lot of opportunities um, in my career that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I'm like listing all the things that they tell you not to do that I think you should do, but I think you should be like really loud about your personal politics and like really loud about what you, your, your values are. Um, because I mean, I don't know, both for your personal sanity so that it's like clear what you like are and aren't here for, but also because like you just never know what that's going to open up for you or, or what connections you're going to find uh, ways to kind of get more involved in things that you really care about. For sure. Yeah. Also, open up like if you're loud, you know, respectively loud and like actually interested in other people's ideas who you're working with. If you're doing this mm. in your Voice is a great opportunity, you know, like say like if you're at like I was at a sustainable design firm. So it was like, let's like push the idea about <clears throat> excuse me, like what sustainability is to us, not just like accepting it like this is who it is to the company, like, okay, like I'm here, I'm interning, like let's be youthful, like let's let's just push the idea and like let's see what it means five years from now or ten years from now. So I think there's like a lot of opportunity to like do that in your actual workplace too. And like, let, let yourself grow and maybe you can put some of your values into the company itself. Like you said. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that's hugely important. Like shaping that internal culture is the absolute place to start um, with those conversations. And I think, you know, I think about all of this, like through the lens of advertising, just because that's sort of the space that I'm in. But um, you know, when you work at an ad firm, you're literally shaping public perception. Um, all of the, the, the sort of uh, messaging and imagery that's being consumed by the public is, is decided by your industry. Um, and so I think that, you know, really agitating about your values internally and having those conversations internally about like, uh, you know, what message are we saying? What types of people are we putting as the face of this campaign? And, and being really aggressive about are we, are we in a progressive space? Are we evolving these understandings or are we falling back on really lazy biases and lazy expectations that, that are perpetuating these sort of harmful things that, you know, hopefully we all are trying to combat. Um, I think I was just at the uh, 3% conference, which for people who don't know is a conference that um, was started when only 3% of creative directors were women. And it's for sort of women creative directors and, and writing women creatives, but then also uh, male allies and, of course, you know, our, our gender nonconforming folk um, to come and sort of think about what role gender plays and, and how we are pushing those boundaries of representation and inclusion. Um, and I saw a totally fascinating panel there by a guy who started a stock industry, uh, a stock uh, website called Tonal. Um, he was a fashion photographer and he realized that sort of all the stock imagery available was, you know, basically a bunch of like skinny young white people doing various things. And he was like, this doesn't, you know, like this doesn't reflect the body types, the identities, the religions that like I know exist out in the world. And like, why is this what we all have to draw from? Right. If that's the bank, then you know, by default, everything's going to start to look this like homogenous way. Um, so he started this stock service uh, that's, you know, like sort of expanding those boundaries by employing I think, a lot of photographers who, who themselves hold identities <clears throat> outside of the sort of like thin white rich norm. Um, and, 
you know, that's like this thing that seems so small and that I think is so hidden from like the end consumer. Like, I don't think people realize how much we depend as an industry on stock and just little shifts like that, like tiny things that you can think about and change um, can have these massive, massive ripple effects. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I could just add like the equivalent of like, so if we want to talk about like in kind of industrial design or more products, like with that same mindset, uh, things that we consume so constantly that you don't even, they don't even become like relevant items in your life. Cause they're just so constant, like a Ticonderoga pencil, like a number two pencil, something that you're right. not thinking about. A great example of that, of what you're saying is like the bandaid. I mean, the bandaid is meant to blend in with your skin, but the bandaid is like not it's blending white. in with everyone's skin. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's like, white, yeah. like you have like these little, like little human interactions and these little perceptions that you can change by changing something as simple as color or offering more colors or doing things like that. It sounds like it sounds fickle at first almost because we're talking about a Band-Aid, but there's a reason it's that color. And it's like if we can make a tiny change like that and you could kind of walk into somewhere and have those conversations and look to make changes like that, that, you know, aren't going to make this like you're not asking a company to change who they are or change their their business model or something like that you're just saying like hey like we can push it a little bit more by doing this and we can try this and i want to yeah and i want to jump on something that you were just saying this like idea that you know you're not asking a company to change who they are the other thing that we have this like unique power to do i think as as client facing creatives is um, to say things behind closed doors to companies um, that, you know, they may never do and may never implement. We can put ideas in front of them that they are absolutely terrified by. Um, and those ideas can can help them evolve conversations internally. So, I mean, imagining to carry this through, imagine that, you know, you have Band-Aid as a client. You basically say, you know, it's fucked up that all the Band-Aids are white. Um, we're so far beyond this. Let's say you guys come with 40 shades of, of Band-Aids, right? And you can say that to them in the pitch meeting and you can show them the deck and all the research and all the reasons this makes sense. And they still might be like, yeah, no, we're never doing that. Like, you know, for financial reasons, everybody's buying the white people Band-Aids and, and we just don't really care. Like, this is what we're going to do. Um, but that that conversation in itself is a success because now somebody on the Band-Aid side like goes back to their company even if they never implement it, maybe they feel a little uncomfortable for the rest of the day, right? And maybe they have a couple of conversations internally about like, I know we can't do this, but like it is kind of fucked up that all the babies yeah. are white, right? And you yeah. like plant the seed for that evolution. So, I mean, I think sometimes even when you know you're going to strike out, that kind of agitator mentality is, is powerful in ways that you don't realize. Yeah. yeah. Standing for something and like, I think it all like it connects to like what you're interested in outside of design. Mm-hmm. Like it's very important because like that's just it shapes your worldview, mm-hmm. like what you do in your spare time. Like there's so much that like that goes into that, and I yeah. feel like it's it's important, especially going in um, going into design. Like that's something I'm still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Is, like. What is it that like I'm standing for? And, yeah. Like, what is it that like I I have to offer besides like good, like concepting and like execution yeah. and like those like those skills that like those foundational skills um, yeah. in design, which is still important, but um, yeah. Like, how do you, yeah. 
No, yeah, I was just going to, sorry, no, but I was just going to say, like, how do you stay true to your personal philosophy and make sure that you do have a personal philosophy and like you are advancing it. And if you feel like, you know, you're being stripped of it, or if you feel like you can't continue your conversation elsewhere through, through someone else's like name tag, through some, through other work that may not necessarily be completely yours. If you aren't like, if you're not developing it, then what are you you know, what are you developing? What are you like? What are you staying true to? Why are you doing it? It brings up a lot of like suddenly like very existential questions, but <laughs> yeah, but it's important. It's so important. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just like again talking about like what you care about outside of design. Like, yeah, I think even for the sake of just like just taking some time for yourself because like as like, design is something that, like, you feel like you're, you're just constantly thinking of, like, day and night. Yeah. Like, whatever, like, a project you're working on. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's nice to be able to, like, break away and just, just do something else. And, oh, yeah. Whether it's, like, these lovely the plants. plants that you have. <laughs> I'm fortunate that this podcast isn't a visual medium. I know, we can see the plants. We can see the plants, but um, just something else that, like, you are, you're into. Yeah, I think... Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a person in a creative field that has no creative side hustle. And I think that that's like very, um, much intentional for me. I, I think it's important to have things that you really love that allow your brain to work in a different way. Um, and so, yes, obviously I'm, you know, like hugely immersed in this like plant tending. I don't know if you can call it gardening when it's inside, but I guess we can call it gardening. I'm really interested in plants and, you know, I think that's great. Um, and then, you know, I'm like a deep, deep Dungeons and Dragons nerd and I'm, I involve myself in that. And, um, you know, these are like all these pursuits, I think, um, that are not necessarily intrinsically linked back to my creative field. And let me try to like work my brain in a different way. So yeah. I think, um, thinking about your brain as this like muscle. And if you're doing the same set of exercises constantly, you're going to have like ripped quads and your abs are going to be like mad flabby. <laughs> and, so, and so, um, plants are my ab exercise. <laughs> um, I don't know. Does it not make sense? Design is like the quads. That's what- Design is all quads, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's all connected. <laughs> Interesting. Never thought about it like this, not going to lie, but it's very... <laughs> I, honestly, I agree. I, I feel like there's just... There's certain things that allow your mind to just, like... Just, like, oh. grow a little bit, too, and, like... I thought you were going to agree on the quad issue. I was like, wow, this is... You're right. Oh, we're, the investing. we're already aligned on that. We've moved on. <laughs> That's a given. We're set on... Designs the quad exercise. Plants are abs. Um, but I think also as as design and, and as these creative industries increasingly move into a digital space, right, as we're getting further and further from working with our hands... I think it's really important to pick up a hobby that allows you to have that tactile experience, both because it's a different way for your brain to work, but also because I just think it's good to like um, have a, a more visceral reaction to something, right? To like engage these other senses. Um, I know I know a lot of designers who have some sort of craft-based hobby, like who do woodworking outside of work or who do embroidery or things like that. These kind of really, really tactile, really. Um, 
uh, I don't know, like almost old school, like analog things. Yeah, um, screen printing. Yeah, screen printing. For, yes, totally. Printmaking absolutely is like such a super rewarding tactile thing. But I think it can be important because, I mean, we're basically pushing pixels all day now. Right? We're like reviewing video cuts on our laptops and we're like blinding ourselves with blue light. Um which is fine. There's tons of really exciting and fucking fantastic things that can happen in the digital space. Yeah. I'm not like trying to push that off or, or talk down to it at all, but I think it can be important to like step away from the laptop into a space where you can touch something um, yeah. and make something with your hands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've started to like figure out like what that means for me. And mm-hmm. I've, I think that, like even just like exploring like mm-hmm. seeing other places whether it's like somewhere near me that i haven't like paid attention to enough and i go for like i don't know a hike or, yeah, yeah. or whatever it may be or like justin and i and a couple friends went camping this summer just yeah. like times like yeah. that like your mind can just like just be free just like wander a little bit yeah. I, I feel like travel's like a good um a good way of doing that yeah too. absolutely um, are there any places that you feel like have had like an impact? Like, I'm like, like places a... that you've gone that have an impact <laughs> on like just who you are as like a. Sure. Um, I'm like a severely under-traveled person. Um, I didn't do any abroad uh, study while I was in school, and I and I haven't traveled a lot. Um, so. I don't know that I can say like, oh, my trip to Tulum was totally my formative time. Um, But I'm with you, though, on you're kind of digging into this like local exploration thing in a way that I'm I'm. I feel very connected to, especially moving to Bushwick. So I used to live in, in Long Island City, um, kind of like in the edge of Queens. And it's funny how New York, I think just by virtue of the MTA, you you get in these routes and you travel those routes and you know those neighborhoods and you don't go anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and when I moved to Bushwick, like I could have moved to a different city, right? It was just like a totally different chunk of, of this town that like I had never been to um, with its own sort of like local vibe that is very different from the one in Queens. And I think there's a lot to be said for like knowing the space that you're in, um, for walking around a lot in your community and kind of like picking up the, the vibe, like, um, New York, we're lucky because we have a lot of green space so you can like traverse the parks and, and get a lot of vibes that way. But I think anywhere you live, it's it's a, it's important to like spend time, like learning your neighborhood. There's a lot of reward in that. Um, yeah, places where you can just like walk and carry your you're like, okay, like I can go this route, totally. and just like buy something new. Yeah, and, like there's just a number of things that you can do. Yeah, um, I mean, um, adapting that like tourist mentality in your own neighborhood can be like such an interesting exercise. Like, we're all rolling around with our headphones on with like you know, our like chill lo-fi study beats playlist um but (laughs) yeah i know i came right for you guys i came for all of you Um, and myself like that's definitely what i was listening to before doppo got over like let's just call it all what it is um but you know when you like take off your your bluetooth bose headphones and Wow. And you like try to open yourself up to the space and like, you know, in the way that you would explore if you were in, you know, wherever. I don't know what's the hot spot now. Reykjavik's over, right? Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, like, I was in the laundromat this morning and overheard, like, total sage wisdom from some woman who was on the phone who was, like, in this deep conversation. And she goes, my brother told me this, and I'm going to tell it to you. You can't hang around people who are fucking lazy. And I was like, yo, <laughs> what? I was like, yes, I'm taking this back with me. Like, I'm on such a vibe about this right now. Like, completely random laundry interaction. Really, I feel like that shaped my vibe for the week. Like, don't hang around That's people. got me going for the rest of the day. Completely. And so, you know, I'm sure there would be enormous reward if I was, like, perusing the Louvre right now. But, like, I'm really riding the don't hang around fucking lazy people vibe from my laundromat. <laughs> you just you got exactly what you needed from that. I did and more yeah i think it's important like what dapo and i talk about like traveling and like where he likes to go and like where we want to go and what i like to do and uh sometimes we get on the conversation of like why we actually do those things and we always get to the point of like not just being in a certain environment i'm like okay like yes you have a certain environment that's innate to who you are as a person whether it's like in the mountains or on the ocean or like riverside environments whatever it is um but more so about like where you're actually traveling like in your mind so like you go somewhere it doesn't matter if it's a if it's a like your your local coffee shop or if it's you know a market on the other side of town and you enjoy to ride over there i think it's more so about just accessing like in your mind somewhere that opens you up somewhere where you know you know you can be comfortable doing that or you or it could be about being uncomfortable it could be about like becoming uncomfortable and that frees you up but for some people it's about you know getting comfortable where they could let their mind travel more freely in that way. So I think like just way back on your comment on like, you know, like I didn't do it abroad or I didn't do this, but like you just listed off like from Duke to your first <laughs> jobs. Like these are as much, these are as much ex- like travel experiences and experiences in new uncomfortable settings as, you know, going to, going to Barcelona to study or like, going to do this this big name kind of thing you know it's i think it's still totally valid and maybe just to bring it back to like you know as as a student or as someone who's like fresh out of school how you uh the expectations that you have for like advancing the expectations that you have for like what is like the perfect the dream of after school like maybe you have to be like all right like this maybe that's not the dream opportunity or like that's not the one that I was thinking of since freshman year or like whatever it is but it's like this is a space where I definitely didn't expect to be I'm gonna be uncomfortable (laughs) challenging like and but like hell yeah that's gonna grow me and I can leave like it's not like you're signing your life away if it's not completely yeah completely I think that that initial job decision feels like it's like I don't know. It's like imbued with some kind of special, terrifying power. Like this is fucking it. Like the first job you choose better be the job that you dreamed of your entire life. Like this better be your Steve Jobs come up. Like whatever you choose now, like this is it. And that, I mean, it could not be further from true. Like your first job can be total shit and like, you know, absolutely have nothing to do with where you eventually want to end up. And that experience is still going to be like mega valuable. And I mean, I think like, you know, everyone's going to come at this a different way. But for me, it was really important that I just start working really soon. Like I just really wanted to get like into it. And that was more important to me than, um, choosing the absolute sort of perfect opportunity. I think I was like, I just need to like hit the ground. Like I got to get onto the next thing. Um, and 
so I think I, I like set aside a lot of that like is this the right opportunity is this the perfect opportunity in favor of just like let me get something going um and that worked out really well for me I mean I think you know I'm sure there are people who kind of like took a a, a year or took six months or whatever to kind of find the, the thing but I think in reality like no job you're ever gonna have is your perfect job uh yeah, so I've, I've <laughs> kind of come to that realization where whether it's I don't know politics or like pay or like whatever mm-hmm. it is that like there's no like happy medium it's pretty hard there's to no try. happy medium that's dark Dabo. Oh, I don't want to get that's that so dark. it's like I don't yeah. mean to like I don't mean there's no perfect job like I mean we can have a conversation about like does capitalism allow us to enjoy our work but like that's not where I was trying to go like <laughs> I think there's a happy medium there okay I'm, I probably need to walk that back. Because, <laughs> no, that's why we're having a conversation. Walk it back, man. <laughs> I just, I thought about, so, I don't know, based on my limited experience, mm, sure. so there's places where, like, you go and, like, it's, like, regular, like, nine to five, ten to five, whatever, like, you yeah. have, like, regular, you can be a human being, like, yes. at this job. Yes. Um, and the pay is, is okay. Yes. And then you have places that are like inhumane hours. Yes. Like you're working till like the vice, like 22, 22. Yeah. yeah. Like till like 11, yeah. eight. And like you, like you're working weekends too. Yeah. 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 Consistently. Yeah. Um, the experience is good, however, because they're moving you from thing to thing. Right. And you're, you're getting a lot of exposure to different areas of design or different clients, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. um, the pay might not be so good. Yeah. But the experience that you're going to get, the people that you're going to meet, like, totally worth it. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're basically now kind of talking about, like, compromise and, like, how much to expect to get out of a job. Yeah. Um, and, yes, I think that that's, like, a super interesting, interesting space where there could be a lot of discussion. I think that um, one of the things that I realized as I, like, maybe matured a little bit in like my professional life was that you can't ever expect like one job to deliver on all of the sort of important work experiences that you want to have yeah um and so I think that's where things like side hustle uh things like where you volunteer things like what you're doing outside of work become important um I think it can be like a useful exercise to think about like what your dream job would be, right? Like what what are my ideal sort of things, right? I want to you know make amazing projects, get exposure to people who challenge me. Uh, maybe you want to travel, and I want this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like write those things down, and then see if you can find a job that checks some of those boxes. And then think about the things you do outside of your job, and figure out if you can check the rest of them. And if you can kind of like yeah. hit that list between those two things, like what you can accomplish at work and what you can accomplish outside of work, then like that's the sweet spot you want to be in. It's interesting because I did that. Yeah. Um, before I left school. Yeah. And I was like, what is it that I want? As far as my time. Yeah. As far as travel. As far as experience. Yeah. Um, all those things, yeah. and, like I was able to check off like some boxes, mm-hmm. like with um, with this job right. um, that I'm taking. And like, actually, this is like this is not that bad. Yeah, I'm learning. Not like it's not that bad. That's a bad way of putting it. It's no, totally. It's yeah, like, it's like I'm getting a good amount of these things. It's yeah. never going to be all the things. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And even like that, that in between time. 
because I feel like this even connects to the like conversation we're having about travel just now. Yeah. It's like, um, where, where do you go mentally? Where do you go physically? Mm-hmm. Um, just like anytime, like, how, like, how does that have an impact on you? Like your mind state and like your physical state, like traveling. Yeah. But in this, in this case, I'm talking about like, physically traveling, like when you have like time off in between, like I'm looking for a job and I'm going to go like, backpacking in like sure, yeah. South America or Amazing. Like yeah, that sounds amazing. Who, like they are negotiating job offers like, yeah. in the midst of all this. Yeah. Like, wow, that's actually like an ideal situation to be in. Yeah. Like, I'll see you in like three months. When I'm like, done doing this months. other thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that's I mean, super cool. I mean that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I definitely want to take a backpacking break before my next job. That sounds killer. <laughs> I'm down for that. I have some suggestions if you are. Yeah. Backing trip for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think just a a cup tie together, tie together a couple points. Like, I think what you expect out of your first job. So you're like, how many boxes can you check? I think is something that we have to like. It's so easy to psych yourself out of that. Be like, like either not do that process, but or or like forget that you know, like you can do that. You have control over that. I think it's like something that's so innate to our work, or something that I experience all the time. Is just like constantly failing and like having to figure out a new way. So it's like, okay, this is the idea. This is all the stuff. This is what I want to achieve, and then. Uh, the you know the kind of like chain between these two points is like for example i'm doing a furniture design project right now so for like a month i was building prototypes like constantly just what these parts are and everything just like building stuff and it's like so demoralized or you have to real like it's so demoralizing when something doesn't work because in your mind in your sketch in your cad it's like wow this worked perfectly and then you do it you spend a week making it and it's like this was the worst fucking idea i've ever had (laughs) i thought this would work but you learn so much and you're never going to get to the step without doing that prototype so like to take and you know when you have that in whatever creative field it's like that's that's why we're in the creative field because you know we're it's our job to like make that journey effectively have the vision and make the journey to get there and bring together all the pieces and i think it's so we just have to remember that like this is like what we went to school for like finding a way to reach that goal, to reach that expectation, whatever it is, and recognizing that you're not going to know what the path is like and it's going to go in directions that you never could expect and it could change tomorrow, it could change in a year, it could change whatever, is something that's like, you know, it's weird that as creative people, we forget that even though even though that's that's what we are supposed to be good at. That's what we are good at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think not knowing the path totally, uh, there's like, okay, I like want to react to so many things you just said. First of all, yes, this failure thing. Yes. Our industry. And I think our, our, uh, pursuits, you know, are so in, uh, reliant on failure almost, I think more so than success. Um, and that iterative process is like so important and so baked in. And I think that when you just 
catastrophically fail at something, what you're doing is like acquiring this mental resiliency that's so like valuable, so important, like way beyond our field in like every aspect of your life. Just knowing like if you are expecting failure and if you're thinking about failure as like learning, um, that's just this enormously powerful thing. Um, but also to speak to while you're still a student, you know, and somebody's like, make a list of things you want for your dream job. And you're like, great. Um, it's also okay to have no idea what's supposed to be on that list. It's like totally okay to have no clue what you want to do coming out of school and take like a couple of jobs to figure out what you do and don't want. Because like you've just been in college, you don't really, you really don't understand what the options are um, for the the workforce. You have some vague idea of what you want to make maybe or the way you want to feel when you do your work. Um, you know, maybe you're like really on your game and you know where you want to work, but you don't, you don't really know what it's going to be like until you've done the job. And so, um, I mean, my first job out of school was not mapped against any kind of list. I was just like, all right, yeah, I'll do this thing. And you learn from that and, and maybe through failing at it or maybe through doing a great job at it, but realizing you don't like it, um, what things you do or don't want. That, that list is like constantly evolving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that idea of just I think we were talking about this like being terrified Mm -hmm. like going into a job like how do you like when you have no clue what you're doing (laughs) how how do you even like begin to wrap your mind around like the day-to-day like I'm gonna get a project someone's gonna come to me like oh you're good at this right yeah yeah and then they're gonna be like oh go like full steam ahead yes um that's so because I've seen that before like a lot of people are just like are learning it along the way and like that's totally fine but like oh yeah it's hard to say that in school it's like yeah it feels like you have to know all these things like going into it it does it feels like you have to know all these things and i think um then once you actually start like you said it's like okay now what you know even if you once you've gotten the job you get to work on the first day and you're like what the fuck am I supposed to do here? Like, I don't actually know how this works. Like I'm supposed to log into the Slack channels. Like, uh, I don't know how we get on the Wi-Fi here. Like I don't have the key card. Like there's all these like variables that that suddenly enter the equation and you're just like, Oh shit. And, and then I think for me, like the initial, the initial real challenge when you're in your first job and you're right out of college is, is how to feel like you're making your mark or, or sort of proving that you're a good hire. And I think that that's something that like, I remember feeling so much anxiety about. It's like, mm. okay, I'm basically like in this junior designer role, right? I don't have a lot of influence over like a lot of big things. How do I like show up and, and, you know, kind of, yeah. um, you know show people that I'm working with like yes I was like a good choice like I can take on more responsibility like how do you kind of prove yourself um initially and uh I think for me like my early career defining project was like literally one of the dumbest possible things um the first agency that I worked at I had some downtime and I'm like asking, you know, some random senior creative, like, yeah, yeah, I have downtime. Like, what can I do? Like, you know, trying to totally hand raise and like show up in the right way. And he was like, oh yeah, totally. I've got something great for you. And uh, I'm like, okay, great. This guy takes me into like the kitchen area of this, of this agency. And he shows me that where their dishwashers are, they have a sign, like a small, like cardboard sign above the dishwasher that says like clean on one side and dirty on the other side. And he was like, all these clean and dirty signs are like fucked up because they get wet when people are like, you know, washing their hands and stuff. And so if you could print out some more of these and then like go all around the office where the dishwashers are and replace them, that'd be really great. And I was like, what? 
I literally felt like so tricked. I was like, excuse me. But I was like, okay, yeah, cool. So, so totally psyched. Like I'm ready. And I was like, I spent maybe 10 minutes really feeling like what the actual fuck this man just told me to go print out some clean and dirty signs for the dishwashers. And then I was like, no, you know what? Like I'm about to like design this shit out of these like clean and dirty signs. Like I know how to do this. Like I'm going to take this on with like, you know, like I need to like, I went to Turn the shit out of some type. I was like, okay, let me get into my full. I just came from college. I know how to design prototype. Like, I'm gonna go back to my desk. I should you not, guys. I was at my desk, like cutting out these little cardboard things. I was like, these need to have stands. Like, these stands wow. need to be waterproofed. Like, we're gonna be printing these. We are gonna. Like, I'm really at my desk trying to make the most pumped out, like, clean and dirty signs ever. So I like think I've really. I really cracked the nut on this intense design challenge. <laughs> I make all these little clean and dirty dishwasher signs on stands, and I go put them all around the office. Y'all, I kid you not, over the next week, I would be in the kitchen, and people would be like, whoa, like, who made these new signs? Like, these are really good. And I would be like, I made those new signs. Like, hello, yes, yeah, so I'm the junior designer here. I can make signs, and I can probably make a lot of other stuff. Um, but sometimes, like, that small squeaky wheel in the office that you think is, like, such a shit job um, to get, whether it is like the clean and dirty signs or a friend of mine had a similar story about basically fixing one of the printers in their office like any of those tiny things that really seem like the shit work um can, can be the opportunity right um they can be hard to do because <laughs> i remember the last office that i worked at yeah the recycling and trash signs yeah were like they were they're really bad and yeah. every time like i still don't know what to put where i was like yeah. this isn't a good solution yeah like, i need to fix this and apparently someone did it in like five minutes or something at their desk yeah and i was like you're like, this like isn't... fix it please yeah because oh, it is those little things too because like, they, they make a difference yeah because once that sign got fixed you're like oh thank god it's yeah. the idea that, like, someone has to do it. Like, no matter what it is, someone's got to do it at one point. Someone's got to do it, and, like, if you can do it, and then everyone, as they notice, you can put your name in their mouth, then, like, that's a good a good way to kind of do that internal networking. Yeah, and one thing I was definitely a little, um, like, unsure about was, like, yeah, again, like, how do I prove myself as a, like, quote unquote prove myself like a like intern like junior designer whatever that may be sure and I based on the questions that I hear from like students who are like still in school yeah um yeah what do the listeners want to know it's like yeah it's similar to like what I thought which Mm. was like I have to be concepting the ideas like I have to be coming up with the stuff like I'm like taking charge on like everything that crosses your hands I feel like even design wise it's the little things like Someone's got to put together a deck. Yeah. You can do that as best as possible. Yeah. Um, there's, like, there's all those little things that, like, if you show effort, like, you just put your head down and work. Sometimes I feel like yeah. as a junior designer, like, you can, you can truly show, like, that you care and that, like, hey, like, you can take on other things as a result of that, too. Yeah. I think thinking about it through the lens of, like, how many eyes are going to be on this can be, like, a really powerful way to think about uh, how much impact, like, your tiny decisions can make. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, when you're a junior designer, the type of stuff you get given is, like, go pull these slides together in this deck, right? And you're like, well, this doesn't feel that impactful because I'm not concepting for this campaign. But when you yeah. think about, like, how many eyes get on that deck, both internally and on the client side, it's like, actually, 
the way you make this is, you know, going to get in front of maybe 100 people. Yeah. And they're like, okay, let me get it together. These clean and dirty signs, everybody who works here is going to see them. <laughs> it's, it's definitely about, like, that um, just just effort. Like, yeah. you don't have to be, like, a tryhard. Because, like, there's a line. There's, like, okay, this person is clearly, like, they're asking to be in every meeting. They want to oh, yeah, speak no, no. in every meeting. No, they no. want to, like... You have to know how to be, like, a good, like, fly on the wall. Oh, yeah, and how to stay in your lane. Like, you need to stay in your lane. (laughs) Um, For sure. Either way, like, someone's going to get noticed. I mean, it's not not saying, like, it's all about getting noticed. Like, it happens. Sure, sure. like, you either get attention because, like, you're being, like, over-eager. And, like, you're volunteering for things that, like, That you clearly can't take on. Yeah, totally. Or you're just like working and you're like, okay, that person is like being diligent. Like, yeah. There's, there's, there's a line. Like, there's definitely a line there. And I'm like, I, I think I'm pretty much in the camp of like, just try to fucking crush whatever you're told to do. Um, but don't run around the office being like, yo, let me get in on this meeting. Let me get on that meeting. Cause it's like, okay, once they say yes and you get in the meeting, you're just going to look like an asshole. Cause you don't know what to do in that meeting. Yeah. And that's why you're not in it. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I, like, I've had a lot of friends, like, ask me about this, or, like, people talk about this on Twitter all the time. Um, By the way, like, what do you think about, like, just, like, Twitter in general as, like, a way of... I'm not on Twitter. Okay. (laughs) I feel like I'm, like... I don't... I don't... Twitter's not for me. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, Just as, like, a way of, like, interacting with people, like, in design. Sure. But... Anyways, what I'm trying to say is, um, like, the whole idea of, like, like the steps that you need to take mm. to get this opportunity, like, we're talking about, like, what you kind of need to do on the job, like, what you expect, but, like, even before all that happens, um, like, you want, like, you want to get that job after school, yeah. and, like, you can be, like, really eager to take, like, the first thing, yeah. but, like, when it comes to, um, like getting something that like allows you to like live like a stable lifestyle yes that allows you to live living in like a place like new york or something yeah there's just certain things like you can't you can't take yes completely um because like you have certain responsibilities like there's a difference between like getting an internship and like you're in school and like you have like you're not paying rent um like most of the time, like, mm-hmm. you don't have as much responsibilities, but now that you have all these responsibilities, like, you're paying back loans, you have right. rent, you have, right. like, adult bills, yeah. like, you have, like, yes. all these things that you have to do. Yeah. How do you, it's, like, a long way of saying, like, just, like, think about, like, that whole process of just, yes. like, figuring out what is the right amount. Yes. What, how, how do I, like, value this time that I'm putting into something? Because whether it's freelance or you're working a salary role, like, you have to yeah. put some sort of value on your time. Yeah, you definitely have to put value on your time. And I think that um, definitely that conversation gets a lot more critical and a lot more complicated when you're going to move somewhere as expensive as New York. Um, I kind of lucked out, or I didn't luck out. It was actually, like, quite intentional. I thought about coming straight to New York after school, but I didn't. I went back to Atlanta, and part of that decision was cost of living in Atlanta was way lower. And I knew that, like, I could survive with less there than, and I was worried about coming here. Um, But I think that, okay, the very practical answer to this is 
do some research um, about what the rent is going to look like, right? Mm -hmm. Figure out if you want to live with roommates or not and try to put a number around rent and like start there. And then after you think about rent, think about how you're going to get around. Like rent and transportation are kind of like the two non-negotiables, right? Mm -hmm. For you to work somewhere, you've got to have somewhere to live and you have to be able to get to the job. And once you figure out the price of those two things, then... I think food is next and that can be your like minimum viable product. But otherwise it's like, if you can live somewhere, get to your job in your house and then figure out a way to eat. And that can be quite flexible based on how flexible you want to be. Then that's your, like, that's your MVP. I mean, once you get to that, you feel like you can get that, which you can. Um, then I think you layer in the other things that are important to you based on your values. Like for me, it's never going to be, uh, possible for me to sacrifice going to like a lot of movies a month. Like that's just something that's really important to me and that's really expensive. And so like yeah. I decide that's a value that I care about a lot. I have to put some money on that and that's in my budget for somebody else. Maybe it's Equinox, right? Like, or yeah. maybe it's Planet Fitness. Like you just gave them as well. It's probably Planet Fitness, but maybe like, maybe your gym membership is really important to you. You start layering those other things in and, and that can help you kind of ballpark a number. I think that that's a more effective way to figure out how much money you need than trying to put an hourly rate on your time right out of school. Because I think that like, you just don't know, like you don't know. When I, when I was taking freelance right out of school, I had no idea. I would just like make up any number that seemed like vaguely reasonable to me and be like, I guess that's my hourly rate. Um, $200? Uh, well, I mean, yes. whoa, if you're getting, yeah, I mean, 200 an hour, like absolutely great. Please do go get that right out of school. If you can get 200 an hour, like never take a salaried job, just freelance forever. Um, but no, I mean, I'm talking about like, I was doing freelance out of school and I'd be like, um, $30 a round. And then I would be like, that's terrible. Like, that's a horrible idea. Why what am I doing? That's not good. Um, it takes so, a lot of that to realize that, like, yeah. all right, I'm, I haven't been pricing this for right. And then you hear, yeah. I think even with salary, it's like you hear other people's rates and you're like, oh, you're, like, you're in the middle of the project. Yeah. And you're, like, you're like, it's too oh, late I now. shot myself in the foot. Yeah. And I mean, okay, so it gets tricky, right? All these things are tricky. Freelance is tricky. <laughs> and once you start a, a relationship with, with a client through freelance, you can't go back the next time and be like, I found out I should have been charging 200 an hour. Like, time to pay more they're gonna be like yeah right like yeah. forget it we know how much it costs so yeah i go no i was gonna say i have a professor right now everyone has told me that they like if they're gonna lump sum a project they do one third up front and then they do two thirds at the end or like one third midway for like a midway review and then one yeah. third at the end i have a professor right now who does 60 percent up front like six sixty percent is that something yeah. you've heard of? Because everyone in the class is like, "Holy shit!" Like that's a big commitment, and he's like, it immediately establishes that like I'm serious about this. I'm committed to it. Like this is you know what I what I cost. But what is your what is you got? What are your, is your take on that? Because I'm like, it's a lot to me, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm just undervalued. I do fifty up front. 50, 50? Up front and then 50 after because it, it just establishes that all right you are committed to like using me for this project um like we have an agreement like once you've established like this is how things are going to go this is the timeline like 50 and then 50 after once we've agreed like okay yeah this is what you want right. um and like just agreeing like that that time commitment was worth. I mean, it's not like they can be like, no. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think the time you spent was great. So, so I don't like, pay the other. Like, right, yeah, no. Um, 
No, it's just like once we come to to an agreement, just like okay, this is like where where we're just gonna like mark this right now. We might pick it up later. But yeah. Yeah, there, there's typically like an an end in mind. Like yeah, this yeah. is what we want to make. Like you have a pitch competition. We're designing for that. Sure. Um, once we have all those things done, that's like that's the end of the project. So yeah, that's kind of how I how I go about it. When I was freelancing as my full time gig, I um, never agreed to anything on a project basis. I was working with like a recruiter that placed me in jobs where I was paid hourly with normal paychecks. Um, and so I never got into that like project by project conversation. Um, but I think something I have learned recently about negotiating that I think is quite powerful and perhaps applicable to this conversation is like, you should just go for whatever you think you can get. And you should think about what you can get in terms of what you think they're going to say no to, not what you think they're going to say yes to. So I think a lot of times we think about like figuring out what number to ask for by trying to do this like weird game of, I think they'll say yes to $500. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I actually saw an amazing panel on this recently called negotiating like an auctioneer. Um, so, you know, when you're in an auction house and they're trying to sell something, the way they determine the price is by whatever someone says no to, right? The last price declined is the, the you know, is the set cost, right? Yeah. And so basically in my mind, if you approach negotiating that way, if you keep asking until you figure out where the no is, then that's yeah. always going to get you more than trying to guess the yes. And once you're into the point of a salary conversation, you're going to get hired. Like this is not, I wish someone had told me this at some point, like no one's talking about salary figures with you and not going to hire you. It doesn't work that way. Like, you don't yeah. show up to the first conversation and they're like, so does 22K sound good? Like, you're not in that conversation until they're going to hire you. And once yeah. they've decided to hire you, they've had so many conversations behind the scenes. There's been so much internal process around approving you that, like, yeah. they're not going to back out because you say a number they don't like. Like, I think when I was first negotiating and, like, first getting into these job offers, I felt like there was so much risk. Like, I felt the risk was huge in every meeting, right? I would go in for, like, the, the you know, second interview, and I would be like, I could lose this today. And a little bit of that is healthy because I think it makes you try hard and it makes you anxious. But once you get to the numbers part, it actually just fucks you to be really scared that you're going to somehow, like, throw the job in that negotiation. Um once you, okay, so like, let's say you're going in for a job, uh, it's a junior position, they want to pay you 55, like that's, that's it, that's yeah. the number they're going to pay, it's going to be 55, they know that on their end, they're like, that's our max. Um, you think, oh, okay, I think they'll say yes to 40. Okay, so if you go in and ask for 40, they're like, fuck yeah, like they thought it was 40, we were never going to, you know, like, we were never going to pay more than 55, we just saved 15 grand, this is great. Yeah. Let's say you go in and ask for 60. They're not like, you know what? You're out. We have somebody else waiting. Like, they're just going to be like, no, we can only do 55. So you didn't yeah. win by asking for 40 and getting a yes. You got fucking tricked. And like, when you go in to negotiate yeah. something, they yeah, say yes to your first number. Yo, it was way too low and just file that for the next time around. That's, that's kind of the worst <laughs> feeling, too. It's like, oh man, like, I can ask for more. I know. Like, it's not like, I don't think it's like, Greedy? Is it? It's not greedy. It's no, like, it's, it's not. More like it's like self-aware. Like it is not greedy. Okay, wait. I also want to say, if you ask for too little and you figure it out, you can change how much you asked for. <laughs> okay. Let's say you went in on our fifty-five scenario, and let's say you ask for forty, and they were like, "Yes, absolutely." And when you get home that night after you've had the meeting, because 
First of all, never, ever sign your contract in the conversation about money. You always think about it. Like, no matter what, even if you're positive, even if you're like totally over the moon, never sign it in the room. So let's say you said 40. They're like, yeah, absolutely. 40, hundred percent. Okay, great. Fantastic. You leave, you've got your contract, you're at home thinking about it. You've realized that you definitely asked for not enough, like a hundred percent. You fucked up at that point. You can, I have done this. So this is why I'm telling you this can be done. Please. <laughs> you yeah. can go and send them an email and you can be like, I've done some further research this evening during my time thinking this over. And in fact, I've realized that there are some competitive offers out there that place the value of this job at X number, right? You can go back with a new number and you can write that a million different ways. You can say that you've talked to some people. You can say you've spoken with some colleagues. You can phrase it however you want. I know a couple of people who throw this out on like they've spoken to their business manager, which I don't think really works in your first job, but you can definitely go in with like various and sundry semi lies about why you need to get more now. So just um, got off the phone with my accountant. Yeah, I was speaking to my <laughs> I was speaking to my financial manager. Um, no, yeah, but I mean, I went with I did more market research, and it was true, right? Like I'd ask for forty. You know, I hadn't asked for forty. I asked for X number. They had said yes to it, and I was like, damn it, that's so low. And I got home and like hit up the glass door. I talked to a couple of friends that night, and they were all like, yeah, you fucked up. That was way not enough. And you just go back to them, and you're like, actually, I've had some conversations, and this is my new number and like it's this you're in the exact same position you were in earlier they might be like lol no we already agreed to this and it's like fine or they might be like let us see what we can do and you can also ask them for things that are not um like more dollars in your salary this i think is actually the clutch trick when you're right out of college so you figured out that like you need your rent covered that can really only be your salary now you've got to get onto transportation you might be applying for a junior design job and they can't give you more money, but they'll pay for your Metro card. You can ask for things like that. You can say like, I need my transportation covered, or you can say I need my cell phone bill covered. You can like ask for things that are not a number on your salary. And a lot of times that's a lot easier for them to say yes to because yeah. most corporations have a cell phone plan that they're getting discounted. They probably can pay for your cell phone bill. They can probably pay for your phone and they can probably cover your MTA card. Like there's a lot of other ways that you can start to make that number work. At least an MTA card. Oh, absolutely. If you're not getting, <laughs> let me just tell you if you're in New York, and you're not getting an MTA card, though, this is not the job for you. Yeah, and it also shows them that what you're trying to, like, by you going back and negotiating or you wanting to have this conversation, like, A, you're mature and professional enough to, like, recognize that these are conversations we have to have. You're not, like, naive uh, in this position. Also, that, like, what you're considering is extremely logical. If you're like, hey, like, rent is this price here they're going to be able to connect with that on like a human basis more than you just saying like hey i need five thousand dollars more um just because i feel like i deserve five thousand dollars yeah if you're like hey cost of living is like a bit is like is going to be on the rise in the next two years like apartments are significantly much higher in this area like can we renegotiate to solve that problem that's like that's almost like a good sign that's like a good conversation that's a positive conversation outside of just you know outside of just making more money being able to support yourself yeah. and like two two things off of that mm. and i think one is like the classic case of like if a place is going to rescind an offer yeah. because you negotiated well you probably shouldn't be working there yeah like, totally if they're like 
don't know. You don't know like how much more like over their range you might be going. Sometimes mm-hmm. they might not even say. Yeah. But if they're like, no, like we we totally can't hire you because of this like then that's it probably crazy, yeah. wasn't meant to be like yeah. whatever energy they're on like <laughs> you no. don't want that like it just wasn't aligning and it wasn't the right thing like it's fine to just move on. Yeah. Um, easier said than done, obviously, but I. I think it's like for the best. Yeah. They say no, and like you just like you go do something else. Yeah, yeah. And a part of me, I don't know. This might this might be kind of trite, mm. um, but I feel like as a like African American, mm. like having to have like my stuff together, like I have mm. to like make sure like I have like this like everything has to be structured everything has to be like i have to have my my shit together sure like, when i go to these people because like you want to be taken serious sure sure like if you're any form of minority group i feel like you you need to have like some sort of like structure to your conversation yeah i mean i i feel that in a totally different way right i mean women chronically under negotiate um women are much more likely to take the offer at as it is presented, literally to just take the offer. I worked with someone who signed their offer in a room and I was like, it literally blew my mind. Like I could not believe that she had done that. And we were being hired at the same level and I ended up getting a lot more money than her because she just was so excited and couldn't believe that she had gotten this offer and just didn't know what to do. And I think it's like maybe not a conversation that we have enough. And she's like, great, and signed her offer in the room. And you're, that's it, it's, that's the end of it, Once it's over, you know? Um, but like, hey, uh, <laughs> just kidding. I want to unsign. You yeah. throw like five or ten. Completely, like it's over then. And um, but yeah, I just there is I, there's this huge fear. There's this huge fear of not being taken seriously. Um, there's you know this much higher threshold. I think uh, where you you're almost it's like you're supposed to feel lucky for getting the opportunity in the first place. Yeah. That I think like really works against people in the negotiation room. Um. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit was what to do when you just absolutely cannot get what you want. You can't get the number you want, but you know it's somewhere that you want to work. Because I think that, like, that's still a real scenario, right? So, like, this is absolutely my place. I love this. Um, You know, they can't come up to your number. You can't solve it through other sort of, you know, soft things like, you know, not non-monetary benefits. You just can't really get to the package you want, but that's, like, absolutely where you want to work. So... I'm assuming that, like, you want to take this job. Because if you can walk, that's always great. Like, I think, you know, things come around, opportunities come around, and, and that might not be the right time. But if you do want to work there, I think that the best thing you can do is have them agree to a set date for you to rediscuss the salary and get this baked into your offer. And so um, I've taken a job before where we just couldn't get to the number I wanted, but I knew I wanted to work there. And so I said, okay, then I want us to agree formally to a, a second review in six months where we can discuss a raise. And a lot of times employers will say yes to that. Um, and if you get them to agree to it in writing, then that's, you know, a strong, you know, they can still in six months be like, LOL, no more money. But it's a strong, a strong indication that each of you wants to, you know, make this commitment work and that they're going to value you as an employee. And you can come back to that conversation in six months. I also think that it helps you put a lot of definition around what you need to accomplish, right? Because if you know that in six months you're going to talk about your salary again, then you can speak to your hiring manager as soon as you get there and basically be like, look, in six months, like, this is the goal. So what do I need to do to show you guys in the next six months that, like, this is the value I'm bringing? Um, So. Yeah, the trial period is, I think that's, like, a a great idea. Yeah. Um, 
That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I know like, one of the places I worked for before did that, where like even freelancers mm-hmm. yeah. get put on a trial period, mm-hmm. um, for better or for worse. Like <laughs> sometimes it didn't turn out so great, but at the same time, like I, I think it's good to like kind of writing your own ticket. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I. That, that idea of like, you're like so excited to take a job or like even like a health I'm sure because this is like back to something that you you said earlier like you have like a certain level of anxiety yes in like, during this process and I feel like there's a healthy dose of like skepticism that's like involved mm-hmm. in like okay maybe this isn't right for me mm-hmm. um, maybe like I need to just like explore something else when this falls through like allows you to like create more options for yourself yeah. I feel like that's like you know it's an ideal situation to be totally to from different jobs but, like if you can't even like that's happened to me before yeah um, yeah I mean I think it's always best to make a decision when you have two options you're excited about um that's always the dream and I think that, you know, if you expand your idea of what two options you're excited about means, then it's easier to get there, right? Like, you may not have two competing job offers and you love both of them, but you might have one job offer that's going to put a huge drain on your time and that's going to be the only thing you can do. Or a job you, like, don't really want to do right? that's, like, maybe um, not even in the field you want to be in. You'll have a lot of time outside of that to pursue side projects. Yeah. And, you know, so if you can kind of figure out, like, two situations you're excited about it, it makes it a lot easier to... Um, come to negotiations with your best interest in mind and with like a level of calm and like you said skepticism yeah and I think the people that you're working with are a huge part of that because oh yeah say this is a uh, scenario where you're taking the lower paying job yes like you're working with people who um are are experienced in their field Mm -hmm. people who um are gonna give you like that kind of like like speed rail, mm-hmm. so to speak, that you need to like go into that next thing. Because I always remember my friend telling me like, every job is planning for your next job. Like yep. you might not, you won't be at your job forever. So, um, how are you? Um, how are you learning from the people around you? If you want to try something different, how are you going to be able to like build enough experience to like when you take the next job that's related to this yeah. like, new skill or whatever? Say you're going from like. I don't know. Uh, you're you're going from doing just like graphic design work sure. to like just straight motion graphics. Yeah. Like who mm-hmm. who are you gonna learn from? Um, this happened to me when I was doing like more experiential. Yeah. Um, going from UX. Yeah. Um, user experience to experiential yeah. design, and I was like, okay, who is it that I'm gonna learn from around me? Right. Um, how can I just like get my hands dirty? I feel like mm-hmm. that's like a good a good thing to look at. Yeah. And if you can't learn from the people around you, just have to like evaluate yes, things like totally. that because um, a cool office is nice, <laughs> cool people, cool parties are cool nice, money. but like those only last for so long. Like when you leave that job, yeah, then, totally. Or like when you get older, like then what? Like you have to think of. I feel like that's like that relates to this idea of just like creating something in a in a mindful way like you have like a more like sustainable goal in mind. Yeah. not to just like drop a bunch of like buzzwords in there no, but like totally. to want something yeah. that's like long lasting 
meaningful. Like you don't want to feel like wow, I just like waste. No one wants to feel like I just it wasted time. Yeah, just, like at this job, it happens, but want to try and like avoid it to a certain degree. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that thinking about the people around you and what you're going to learn from them is super important. And I think even taking it like to one step higher level, um, thinking about a workplace that's like supporting your continued education, because once you're out of college, like the place you're learning is work. That's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's not it. You learn things in life too, but like, you know, the places where you're advancing your professional skills is work. Um, and one of the things that I learned from enormously from a colleague was getting your office to pay for you to take more classes. Like that had never occurred yeah. to me. Um, and when you're, when you're in the workplace, and this can be something to discuss in the interview process. Sometimes your your employer will pay for you to go take like that After Effects class you need to like yeah. branch into motion graphics more, or they'll pay for you to go to that conference that you want to go to to learn about you know whatever X Y Z thing. And um, I think thinking about you know all those education opportunities is really important too because the further you get from college, like work more and more becomes the way that you're going to learn about your field. Right. Yeah, I, I I think so too because like you you learn from other people you learn from like the failures that happen at work like yeah has like has there ever been an instance where like you're on a shoot or like you're on some like you're off site you're doing something that's yeah. related to like a project and like something's like caught on fire or something like something that you feel like you or like even your team as a whole like sure. have like, been able to learn from because. I think those moments are, like, they're really good to, like, put things in perspective and be, like, yo, like, we're not all, like, experts in this, like, we may have been doing this for a while. Yeah. But, um, not to say they're not experts, but yeah. things can go wrong. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, they're meant to teach us things. And, yeah. Um, like, again, back to the idea of, like, resilience. Yeah. Like, building up the, like, mental strengths to just, like, deal with whatever happens. Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm in this kind of like unique position where none of the projects that I do bear like any resemblance to each other. And so um, that like feeling of being out of your depth on something is is one that like our team experiences constantly. Um, like, I mean, n the majority of the work I do, no one on our team has had any you know, specific experience doing that thing. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, I think you start to discover all of these skills that you didn't know had names that you already have. Um, and they're not things like, oh, I'm a good UX designer. They're things like, I'm like a really resourceful person who can figure out how we're going to make these like three lights got delivered to set work the same way as the 12 lights we were supposed to have. Like there's like all of these like little skills that you, you find about yourself when you're in a panic. But um, I mean... I was just on a shoot. It's funny that you say I've never been on a shoot where something caught on fire. I was just on a shoot where we burned uh, a, a couch in a field in Texas. And none of us had ever burned anything for a shoot before. And we had no idea what this involved. And I had many fascinating conversations with pyrotechnic experts about this over the phone and the ways that we would be rigging this couch to do a safe burn. And then I had conversations with producers about how you permit burning something in an open field. And like, you know, 
know, I've just had conversation after conversation that bared no resemblance to any conversation I had ever had and where I had no information to contribute. It was also, you know, I'm like over here like a sponge, like, tell me more about how we're going to rig the, you know, the gas lines under the cushions of the couch before we exploded. And like, let's talk more about the barrier of safety that has to be, you know, like whatever. Um, and so, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Failure is completely part of the job day to day, but I don't think I've ever been on a project that failed, which I think is a very that's, that's different, good. is like a very different thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think your project should not fail. Yeah, <laughs> you can yeah. fail. You can fail at like every step of it, and it can take on a form that was not what you intended. Um, but I, I think, you know, once you get to the level of project failure, that's when you need to kind of like step back and do a really intense, like deep dive into what happened. Because the goal is all these tiny failures are really just evolutions of the project. They don't yeah. compromise the end, the end product. Yeah, that's like, that's exactly what I was like going to say. It's yeah. like you have failures within a project, but like project, project can't fail. as a whole, yeah. that's something different. That's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> it's ironic, but like little failures are such a good sign of not failing in the end. Like the more you can yes, get out absolutely. during the process, yeah. Like the more failure now, the better the final product is going to be. The better the final picture is going to be. So much absolutely, more so. and like little failures yeah. are your only indication of progress, right? Because if you're never having any failures on a project, that just means you're doing some like really boring ass shit that everyone knows how to do. And you're not, you're not evolving anything. Like there's no new news here. If there's no failures, like, yeah. you, you have to be um, almost seeking those little failures as a sign that you're pushing. And um, I, I think they can be good in that way. Yeah. We, we talked about this before, like making it to like, Outdoors, and yeah. like when you go on a trip, say like you're hiking, or say like you're you're just like exploring somewhere, you're like yeah. you're out of your, your usual element. element, yeah. And like what happens when things go wrong? Like you like there's a couple falls, right. or like it I don't know it rains, and like yeah. that like takes your plans to like a different direction. I feel like people who do that, like Justin is a he's a, he's a man of nature. He's, he's, You're a man he's, of nature. He's one with nature. Official title, man yeah. of nature. Uh, uh, we'll embrace you on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I hear that's I hear that's a useful skill. Um, I can definitely say so because like, feel like when I go out, like exploring in that way, it's like I have no clue what I'm doing. I like, would have should no something clue. go wrong I'm like I'm never doing it again sure like some people have built up like that like level of like you know um yeah yeah completely like, to just like keep taking those hits and like keep going back to it yeah like I think it's I think it's like perseverance because it's fun like not to ramble on double, you know, I could talk about this for a while, but like when you learn that, like, okay, so you're backpacking and no shits, like a bit like, okay, you're getting stalked by a mountain lion. It's happened. Like, this is a situation I've been in. It's just like, holy fuck. How do you deal with this? Yeah. It's like, this does not happen. in, 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 in Yeah. But it's like, whoa, this is intense. But then like, 
the fact that that's happening, you're so uncomfortable and you're so that everything is so raw around you. Like the experience is so raw. You're in, this was in the Rockies. You're in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to help you. It's like, I have to figure this shit out by myself right now. And it's like, yes, I'm with people, but it's like, if you start freaking out, if you start having like these images of like, this is how we're going to succeed. Or like, this is how, like, we're definitely going to die this way. Or like, we're definitely like, this is going to go wrong. It sounds, it sounds really intense, but it's, it's no different than like, I was just talking about being in the studio and like constantly, constantly, constantly failing the past month at building these prototypes. And it's just like, there's going to be a solution. Like there is a solution. It's not like some inescapable thing. And if you, it sounds like the mountain lion example is intense, but it's the same thing for someone who's just either more comfortable in that kind of like outdoor setting or someone who's less comfortable. Like if you throw someone who's never worked in the wood shop into the wood shop and tell them to go build a chair, it's like it's like a terrifying experience. You have like all yeah. these blades moving around you. It's like totally out of the element. So it's like, when I love you, that you're like, let's talk thing. about discomfort. He's like, mountain lions yeah. and blades. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, it's, it's like, if you learn to love, like I always tell Doppel, I'm like, I love being uncomfortable. And I think yeah. most creative people do. Like if you learn to love the moment where you're like, I'm about to drown. Like, I, I think like, this is not going to work out whatsoever. And you have that moment that like little freak out that we all do. We're like, Oh no, like, this is not like, I expected this to work. This is not going to work. You just like have to have this creative confidence where you're like, wait, like I'm, I'm not trained in figuring out how to make this one thing work. Like I'm not trained in figuring out how to like get one cut done on this piece of wood. I'm trained in, figuring out just how to solve problems, just like how to recognize an issue, how to, you know, like approach it in a different way, how to be creative about it, how to like concept and prototype. And suddenly it doesn't matter what the problem is. It just matters that you know how to like walk on that journey. You know how to like have something not work and go a different way and go a different way and go a different way. And uh, yeah, just like kind of rambled off, but to comment like that's what we're good good like burning a couch in a field or moving out for your next job to california or being in a country out here and like i need to speak to manufacturers and like i verbally cannot communicate with them because they're all parents like it's like it's like you can figure it out like you will figure it out kind of sound like a like a fortune cookie but yeah I like this vibe. We're like really, we're like really getting to this up note of like, we got this. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you do that. I mean, I feel like that's a good theme for like everything that we've talked about is I think it's easy to underestimate what you already have, the toolbox you already have. And I think those little panic moments really do help you um, search frantically through it. And and it can be, it can be a good way to remember like, yo, I'm good at a bunch of stuff. This is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah. It's like every time we talk about this, Dapo and I like it sounds a little bit. It doesn't sound corny, but it sounds like all right. Like yeah, we can do whatever. Like we can do anything. But it's like yeah. Like you know. Like and I think it's important that we bring this up because this is a fear that a lot of students have. It's like it's like 
no no school in school you're in this bubble you know but like your learning process and you're learning how to mess up and like there's a reason you're doing all these projects and there's no budget and there's no you know there's no manufacturer at times and it's like you're just like actually getting the opportunity to like work through the progress and work through the process and it's so hard like you step in your first job and you guys said like you're terrified or like you know like what what boxes are you checking off to you know, to feel fulfilled in your first job or like your first opportunity or taking opportunities that don't matter. I think like the general course of what we've been talking about is just like you, you may not have, you may not have the answers. Uh, you may have the expectation, but like this whole path is super, is like very wavy <laughs> and fortunately you know how to get across it, but you know, who knows what that's going to be like. And you just got to be, you got to be okay with not knowing at the moment. Yeah, yeah I feel like it, it's, it can be one of those like uncomfortable moments where you're like, again, where school sometimes can it, at least for me, and for other people that like I talk to um, who like even are still in school, like it pushes you toward this idea of like, okay, I have to do this one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like once you like you break free from that and, and maybe not break free like you let it go a little yeah, bit yeah that like I I'm interested in other things and like I'm just I'm willing to try and, and just like see how that turns out I think like, yeah. that's a good space to be in. What do you like for both of you? Um, what do you when you find yourself in that moment where you have like a little bit of panic where you have this like moment of oh like this thing that was so beautiful in my head, this this plan didn't work. And it, whether it's in your control or not in your control, like, what do you think of, what's your next step? Maybe you've never thought about it before, but like, where do you go from there? Do you talk to someone? Do you go in your sketchbook? Do you go take a deep breath? Like, what's your next move when you fail unexpectedly? Yeah. Um, for me, uh, by the time I've gotten to the thing that we're going to make, uh, there've been a lot of other rounds, right? There've been like other options that we, we put aside, uh, perhaps totally different ideas that we didn't choose. So there are kind of like a lot of back offshoots from this, this final road we end up on. And usually when I realize that like something's failing or not going to work, the first place I go is like back to those ideas that we disregarded or didn't choose um, in favor of this one because I know that those are things I was thinking about as I was trying to get to the same solution Um, and so I think that's my first move and then sort of maybe coupled with that or wrapped into it I'm always like trying to talk to my team because I think once something fails you need like as many brains on it as you can get yeah um yeah, I definitely think that like getting other people involved is is important, and I feel like a part of that also is like kind of separating ego from it. Like, okay, why yeah. is it that I wanted this thing to work? Is it because I feel like it was the best idea, or because I came up with it? Right, right. Like, Whoa, yeah. Because I came up with it thing is a big, big, yeah, yeah, big like, stumbling block. Yeah. And again, that's the idea of compromise. Just like trade offs that you're willing to make. I think assessing those things, just like taking stock of like how that thing happened mm-hmm. and like how other people who are around me, whether like usually from working on it with other people, like, okay, how can I better interact with these people? How can I better um, like communicate um, why I want to do this thing? Mm-hmm. And if I don't do that right, like maybe it wasn't meant to be. 
Yeah. So I, I, hope, I hope that's an answer. <laughs> that's, a, like, that's just kind of how I think about it. Y'all should have like a goofy question that you ask everyone. Ooh, yeah. You should think of one like a weird thing that can be like your your yeah. weird thing to do. You don't have to know it right now, but yeah. you, should, you should get a, a weird thing. Yeah, I know like some people ask like, oh, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, it could go both ways so hard though. Someone could be like, I'm just really obsessed with this amazing idea and then people yeah. could be like my childhood trauma. Yeah. Like where was the last place you traveled? Not necessarily like big travel, like mm-hmm. where was the last place you went and you felt fulfilled going because you were in that place? Yeah. Uh, I was pretty stoked on this shoe where we shot this flaming couch was in Austin. Um, and I had never been to Austin. It was pretty awesome. I mean, that shoot was like one of those really rare experiences where everyone is totally on their A game and everything goes right. And yeah. I, everyone on the shoot really felt it. Like we all kept just looking at each other being like, this is like going so well. Like, is this yeah. the best that anyone's ever had a thing go? Um, yeah. So I was like really up on that energy there. It was really fantastic. We were actually not technically in Austin. We were shooting at this like Boy Scout camp 40 minutes outside of Austin <laughs> in this town called like Bastrop. Um, where we had some like killer breakfast tacos at this like shack on the side of the road. It was just, it was great. That whole vibe was very good. So light more couches on fire. I, yeah, that's the takeaway here. Like Burn more couches. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been awesome. Um, yeah, great. I, thank, thank you so much. Yeah, really. It's so cool to like, because we keep this as like a casual conversation, it's so interesting yeah. to see how different each episode is turning out um like the same vibe but just how unique because uh well because you're here so thank you seriously yeah Yeah. thank you guys this has been awesome i'm super excited to uh see what this turns into (laughs) thank you everybody for listening um eden anything you want to plug um any upcoming projects i noticed you don't don't have side projects right now social um if you want to follow me on social you can um my handle is just basically my name it's eden a lewis on instagram um you can see all of my my various and sundry musings there it's a lot of plants and a lot of lefty politics so come on down (laughs) we'll drop that in the show notes for everybody Another thing that I'll, I'll probably drop in there is this site called The Bitter Renter um, for New York. For people who are trying to figure out, like, I make this much and my roommate makes this much or I make this much alone. Yeah. And, like, I'm trying to find an apartment and it gives you a good idea of, like, which places you can live. Oh, that's awesome. I wish they had that for, like, more cities, but I'll, yeah. I'll drop that in the show notes. And thank you, everybody, for listening. So yeah. if you like what you hear... Um, please leave a rating and um, like let us know what you think. Shoot us a DM on Instagram and we'll drop our email and show notes for everybody as well. This is the Venture Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.